Many millennia ago, at the peak of Mount Hermon in the Golan Heights, a group of divine beings known as the Watchers, or Sons of God, descended in an act of rebellion against their king, Yahweh. By teaching them the secret knowledge of the cosmos, they sought to wrestle dominion of the earth away from humanity. They bore children with them, and their offspring were both human and divine. These giants are the demigods of old, and the events that transpired would forever alter the course of human history. At Camp Hermon, we discuss the oddities of the ancient world and their lingering impact on our world today. Welcome. Hey guys, welcome back to Camp Hermon. We spoke today with Wade Dunlap, a former military officer who has a bunch of crazy encounters. We can't wait to share with you guys. Um, he's seen everything from Bigfoot to UFOs to lake monsters and had some encounters overseas in his time in the military. So it gets pretty crazy. We actually split this episode into two episodes. So don't forget to tune in next week to hear the second part. Hey, Wade, thanks for coming on, brother. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to be here and uh, really love the beginning of this podcast you got going. And, you know, Blurry Creatures is a great podcast. It's probably one of my favorites. So you, you're racing up for that number second spot, man. It's <laughs> It's been. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, I just, I'm just one of those guys that, uh, you know, I, I went on a podcast several years ago just to kind of felt like I've had so many weird experiences that I felt like, I also needed to kind of like get my information out there because I was going through a tough time trying to figure out what was going on. And I felt like any help I could be for other people, I wanted to give those experiences out. Maybe people can have clues on how to figure out what's going on in their life. And for me, it's been quite, quite an adventure. And I wouldn't say a good adventure all the time, but it's been uh, a learning experience too, you know? And uh, so anyway, I just... My brother likes to say I, um, I'm a spiritual uh, poop magnet. <laughs> and so while well, he's had some weird experiences too, he, um, it seems like, and it's somewhat in the family also, but it seems like I, I tend to run into crazy stuff. Luckily for me, a good percentage of them have also been witnessed by other people or there's somebody else around. So I'm not the only one who's delusional. So <laughs> Mass who delusions. knows, who knows. But uh, anyway, just to start, I kind of, I grew up, uh, born and raised in Northeast Iowa, a small farming community, a town of less than 1,200 people at the time. Uh, I was raised Catholic, and, um, and my dad was a very spiritual person. So we went to church every weekend. I was an altar boy the whole nine yards. And uh, the thing about, I, I hear a lot in a lot of these podcasts I listen to is like, the church really doesn't prepare you <laughs> for the spiritual warfare that's really going on. And so even as you grow up and you have experiences, you're just like searching for answers and you think you should already have these answers and you don't. So it was, it was kind of tough because I, I was experiencing, I, I want to say probably demonic oppression at time. I wasn't like a full on thing where the house was like haunted, but I would go through some really crazy stuff and, uh, just really bad nightmares, which is kind of probably common in that scenario. But also I would start experience scratching and ceiling of my bedroom in the middle of the night. And my dad was like, ah, it's squirrels. So he would go up there and 
the middle of winter and look, and then of course no squirrels are around. So what do you, what do you do? And it didn't go away. So all I could do was just start praying. For me, it was a Lord's prayer. I didn't know anything about rebuking or the authority given to me or any of that stuff. So you just kind of do what you know. And I did have at times where I felt like some entity was actually attacking me and sleep paralysis and that stuff. I didn't have a lot of sleep paralysis as a kid, but I did experience some of it. And I just, I didn't understand it, obviously. So, um, but as going to church, one of the things that I think was one of the most dramatic experiences of my life, I was going through my first communion with all my friends. And I don't know if I was 10 or so, give or take. We had just received the communion and we had gone up into the choir balcony to again reflect and, and pray and, and just contemplate everything while we're waiting for everything to finish up. And as I was kneeling there, I was in between all my friends. I suddenly felt um, the basically the fear of God came on me and I didn't understand it at the time and I didn't know what to call it. All I know is it scared me. But it was like this major overwhelming presence. And, and when everybody you know, here continuously, do not be afraid, you know, that saying in the Bible or whatever. Well, now I know why, because the fear of God is, is tremendous. <laughs> it really did scare me. And it brought me to tears. And uh, of course, then I'm embarrassed because I got my buddies next to me and I'm like crying. So <clears throat> eventually that calmed down into a that loving fatherly feeling. And it, it was more of like a, you know, a pat on the back or rub on the head saying, I love you. I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad you're doing this. You know, you're on the right track. So that was probably the first major spiritual experience I had that really stuck out with me. So when you say fear of God, can you kind of explain a little bit more in depth about the emotions that were going on? Like, yeah, I'll try. I mean, right. I realized it was 10 and that was <laughs> a long time ago, but um, I, I do remember just, it was an overwhelming. And when I say fear, I don't mean, and I will tell a story later on where I felt true evil fear. This was a fear of like a supernatural presence, an overwhelming, powerful presence. It wasn't like a bad fear. It was a, it was kind of a, um, just really powerful and really, um, it just came on me so sudden that I wasn't prepared for it. And, but that, like I said, that fear, it calmed down and it, it kind of just evolved into this loving warmth feeling, you know, all I can say is like, it was very powerful. It was, it was a very strong presence. And I actually looked around and I'm like, am I the only one feeling this? You know, what is going on? And so, but then it's like, at the same time, I knew, I knew right away. I knew it was the Holy Spirit. I had no doubt. So uh, is that kind of answer your question? Yeah, I think, because sometimes that can be, I think, a little confusing for people when they think about like the fear of the Lord, because we tend to compare it to like, what you mentioned, like sometimes, or not necessarily compare, but have trouble making the comparison or not making the comparison of the fear of the Lord as compared to like fearing something like demonic or scary or dark in that way. And something that I think about is if you've ever come 
close enough to like a wild animal that could kill you. Like, you know, that the, the power that this thing has, that it could take your life. There is that a similar kind of, of fear. And I don't want to say reverence, but a respect for that power and authority that that being has. Now I'm talking about like an, an animal or something, but do you get what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. And that's what something I tackle with myself trying to figure out and how to explain it. Because the fear of the Lord is different than talking about this, the spirit of fear. You know what I mean? The Lord doesn't give us the spirit of fear, but the, the fear of the Lord is, is more, like you said, it's more of a, I know that God is all powerful and he could end everything now or not. You know, it, it all is dependent on his will. And that's the kind of, like you said, respect of his right. power and his, you know, grace and all that. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I've been noticed to nose with a Buffalo on accident. So I know exactly, I know exactly what that's like. So anyway, but it was uh it was a powerful experience for me. And it, it, while I didn't always walk the right path, being in the military and running around with Marines and, <laughs> and other types of uh, folks that, you know, you kind of live for the moment, you know, and, so, but I think that that memory of that has always grounded me and brought me back to, you know, like some, I guess you could say I, a lot of people say they believe in God. I believe in God. For me, it's, it's not a belief anymore. I, I believe obviously, but it's also, I know, I know God is there. So does that make sense? Yeah. And so no matter what I'm going through, no matter what has happening, I, I do know that God is there. So it's just a matter of me waking up and paying attention sometimes and remembering. Isn't it amazing that we can have these powerful supernatural experiences, be it with God or with demonic entities and forces, and then forget about them? Like the worry, yeah, it's, it's so weird. The worries of life kind of come in, and you you forget about these things. And I'm talking about real experiences because I've had real experiences yep. myself. And then you get busy, and in your mind, you just completely forget about the good and the bad. Yes. Yep. Well, I have another experience as a kid that really stuck out to me. But again, a lot of this stuff didn't come back to me still until later in life when things started getting really out of hand. And uh, so after that experience, a couple of years later, um, we used to go to northern Minnesota to go fishing, um, north central Minnesota, north of Bemidji. And this story always cracks me up because it's just one of those crazy stories. And luckily, I was with my brother and my dad. So every every other summer, we go fishing on Lake Andrusia, I think it's called. And it's just right off of Lake Bemidji, which is all part of the Mississippi River chain. It snakes its way all the way up into north central um, Minnesota and empties off, or it begins, excuse me, at Lake Itasca, where you can actually walk across the Mississippi, believe it or not, so shallow and uh, small. But um, these lakes, they twist all the way down and they form these huge lakes, but then they finally twist and go all the way down into south 
southeast Minnesota and, and formed what you, we consider the Mississippi River, you know, what everybody pictures. So there is uh, – well, I'll get to that in a second. So one day we got up early, and we would go with a bunch of families, and we decided to go out early just by ourselves. My dad wanted to take the boys out fishing. So I was about 13. My brother's around 10, and uh, we were going across this lake – and on the other edge of the lake was a reed bed. And then that reed bed dumped down into the water. It dumped deep into um, the deepest part of the lake. And so a lot of these big fish, musky, northern uh, walleye, they'd come up and they'd snag ducks, ducklings, whether frogs, whatever they could, small fish off this reed bed, right? And so that's where we were heading to. It's supposed to be a good place to fish. And as we were getting close to it, we were probably maybe – max 30 yards from where we're, the reeds came out into the uh, lake and I just happened to look in front of us and I don't know how I'm the only one who saw it at first because my dad's looking that way as he's you know driving the boat but I just pointed and said look and there was this huge black arc coming out of the water this arc was the size of a tractor tire and I grew up in Iowa so I know what a tractor tire <laughs> looks like but it was a huge black serpentine serpentine like arc coming out of the way all shiny no fins no scale it was like skin it was like black skin you know and and we all just saw it. we all looked at it. and this thing just went on arcing out of the water for a long time and finally it just disappeared and then my dad's like nope and turned the boat around and we just went back the other direction so we talk about today the you know, my dad likes like, oh, you boys and your imagination. He won't deny it, but he won't really admit to it either. But my brother and I like, whatever, dad. <laughs> we, so basically, we saw a giant lake serpent in Minnesota. And there's no doubt in my mind that this is not a natural creature. And there's legends about these creatures going back to the Native American times. And there is a famous serpent lake serpent in peppy i think is the name of the lake serpent in southern southeastern minnesota lake pepin and that pep lake pepin of course connects all the way up into this lake where i'm at it's been cited for you know 150 plus years by different either indigenous or local population but then halfway through the chain is also a lake called serpent lake which has a big serpent monster dragon thing for its mascot so I have no, I have no doubt. The, the term cryptid just kind of cracks me up because I believe that most of these animals are not undiscovered animals. They're most likely abomination, you know, perversions of God's creation. And I think that's probably what this serpent is also. So that was one of the first crazy sightings I ever had as, as in my life. And I, again, just kind of think, don't think about it, blow it off right. until it comes up. So how big do you think it was? Like how big around? Like I said, a tractor tire. So you're talking what? 12 inch in diameter at least. Oh, so you mean as big around, like as big around as a tractor tire. And like is arcing out of the waters. So you got to realize the reed bed was three to four feet high off the surface of the lake. And the lake was pretty calm. Oh, okay. And that off top of the arc of that serpent was at least as tall as the reeds. Wow. That it's a it was a big dang arc and it it was it was scary it was like what is that we've never seen that before 
It wasn't a muskie. It wasn't a northern. There's no sturgeon in the lake. And even sturgeon don't arc out of the water like mm -hmm. that. Plus, they got bony ridges. And they're, I don't know. If you, I grew up going to a fish hatchery, and I've seen sturgeon since I was a kid. That's not a sturgeon. So whatever it was, it was very serpentine, and it was it was freaky. And we just took off, and we never – I don't think we ever went back to that part of lake to fish again, to tell you the truth. Yeah. So. Did you get a different feeling? Because sometimes, you know, when you see something – that might look crazy, but it's, you know, it's natural and real versus something yeah. that is, you know, is not natural. There's a different feeling you get. Like, did you get that feeling? I, it sounds yeah. like you did. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was so unnatural that my dad was like, there's just no way we're turning this boat around. We're heading back. And I'm honestly surprised we didn't like get off the lake at that time. We just went to the opposite end of the lake to fish. But, you know, like I said, if this thing really was uh, a creature, it would have uh, a real, uh, you know, uh, something from God. It would have would have really arced out at the water as we're coming right at it. It's just like all of a sudden you decided to show itself, you know. It, it was just strange. It was, a, yes, it was a surreal, bizarre experience, and it didn't feel right. And so we just took off. So absolutely yeah there's no doubt to me that it was an unnatural type of experience and type of creature did you get like a feeling of dread i'm just thinking back to different stories that i've heard people tell of encounters they've had with something that they might consider paranormal or cryptid and a common thing is this feeling of no hope complete dread um no not the time um i i I just remember we're all kind of, we were stunned and we just had that, yeah, that strange feeling of like, this is not right. This isn't, this is crazy. Let's get mm -hmm. out of here. So I don't remember like a horrible dread feeling. I've had that before, not with the creature, but with a different experience. And uh, I don't recall feeling like that. I just remember thinking uh, we probably shouldn't fish here. We should probably go somewhere else. So yeah, it was, it was, it was like one of those jaw dropping experiences. And I, I've always, I don't know if it stemmed from that or just always felt this way, but I do not like swimming in murky water. So I don't care if it's a lake, a river, um, or even the ocean. So yeah, I don't know if it's from that experience or what, but it was a, it was pretty, pretty crazy experience. I can imagine. But we never brought up until we were adults to talk about it. So that's what was kind of trippy. You know, you never, after that, it's not like we went back and told my mom or told the people we were with or anything. I didn't talk about it at school. It just kind of like out of your head, you know? So till more weird stuff happens. So, and then you start compiling, right. you know? Yeah. Anyway. So anyway, I just, I, like I said, I, I didn't even think about looking this information up until the internet came around anyway. And then uh, I started digging into the myth and lore, like the water panther and all that stuff. And who knows what it is. Um, I do know that along the Mississippi, there is a giant pictograph. I think it's on the Illinois side of a maybe water dragon or water type panther that was, I think was assumed by, it was one of the French explorers. And so there's been legends of these serpent type dragon type creatures all along the Mississippi's going way back. So 
I think I don't know if it was Marquette or one of those one of those famous French explorers. Now they repaint it freshly every every so often to keep the the story alive. Anyway, and I and, you know I after this I really don't remember a whole lot of other stuff as a kid. I did experience a lot of crazy dreams and nightmares, but that kind of tapered off as I got a little older. And then um, right out of high school, I joined the military for the most part. And, uh, and then I was off and running and most of that time. And I moved around a lot, um, Southern California, Washington state, Missouri, you know, Chicago, uh, up in uh, great lakes. I was all over the place, but I really don't remember a lot of anything happening during that time period of my life. It really wasn't until I went to Iraq in 2003 that I had my next crazy, just really powerful experience. And I'll just kind of go into that. Basically, um, we were, I think we were there probably about four months by that time. And we, we pushed up from the original start of the war from, we started in, um, where do we start? And Kuwait. Jeez, getting old. Started in Kuwait, pushed up with the, an initial push, and uh, went through Baghdad, and um, and then eventually my unit pushed up into Balad, which is I think it's about an hour north of Baghdad on the Tigris River. It's an older, you know, it's an old place. It's got it's got a lot of. I think they have grapevines across the Tigris River. So our, the where we we set up our unit um, was not too far from the Tigris river. You can see it. And then right across the river were fields. I can't remember if they're great fields or something like that. So we, uh, I remember that I was working nights and I was working in a, a cash combat support hospital and the emergency department and the, this was after college and going back and joined the army. So I left the Navy Marine Corps and then joined the army. And uh, work in the emergency department. During that late afternoon, evening, we had what was called mass casualty come in. Lots of dead, dying people, soldiers mostly. And uh, it was a bad time, obviously. And, you know, you did your job. And I still had to work that night. But during a mass cal, you have to, it's all hands on deck. You know, everybody gets there and does their part, and helps out where they can. So we worked hard and did what we could, shipped those out that we could. Um, and then I still had to go back to work that, that evening. So fast forward, somewhere it's always in the middle of the night, is it not? 2, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the middle of the, the night when the crazy happens. But that evening, a sandstorm had also pushed in. So anybody who's been to sandstorm, you know, it's, it's like walking into fog, except it's not, you know, moisture. It's just sand and grit. So it really limits your visibility. Um, a little bit freaky for those of us who never grew up around them, but I remember saying I had to go to the bathroom, you know, and I was with a team about four or five other professionals and we're all just kind of sitting around because there wasn't much going on at times. So I got up to go outside and we we're all in tent. We we're in tent hospitals. This was way before any kind of permanent structures were put up. As I walked out the vestibule, this zipped it up, I immediately felt a presence in the, <laughs> in the air, in the sandstorm air. 
And this presence, all I can describe to you is it was it was an overwhelming uh, presence of of hate, of anger, and what was probably the freakiest part, just an ancient hunger. You could feel it. <laughs> just feel that hate and anger, anger and hunger. Just felt ancient and just it was it was a sickening evil feeling and it scared. I've never been that scared in my life. And I haven't, I'm not, I can't say I'm scared of much. I've been shot at. I've been, you know, we've had rockets more on none of that. That was the scariest part of my deployment was whatever that was floating around in that air, that presence. And I can tell you, I did the hundred yard dash. I peed as quick as I've ever peed. And then I sprinted back to the tent. And as soon as I got inside, that whole presence, that feeling just completely disappeared. And, but I tried to calm myself down because I'm like, is this my imagination? You know, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, I just went through a major mass casualty event, you know, is, 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 am I having some kind of weird residual effects of this stress and trauma, you know? So um, as soon as I get in though, one of the, one of my fellow uh, workers, she was like, I gotta go the bathroom too i'm like i'm thinking to myself yes you should go out and go to the bathroom too and so so i'm like yes go ahead i'll be waiting right here for you dude she was out for maybe 10 seconds and came running back in eyes wide as saucers and just her mouth was open just like freaked out and i'm like right did you experience it she's like yes what was wow. that? And so I'm like, I don't know, dude. And I'm like, but I don't want to go back out to find out. So everybody's like, what, what? I'm like, go outside, find out. And nobody else would go. It was just, it was, she was so scared. It kind of brought her to tears. So it was a freaky, freaky experience. And so I don't know what it was, whether it was a demonic energy, but I tell you the things I've experienced later on in life didn't compare to the power and the, the ancient feel of whatever this thing was. Was it a principality? Was this a fallen something? Was it an a, original Nepha? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, it, to me, I mean, I've had, I've had experiences with, with demons. And yeah. for a spirit-filled believer, I don't want to say – I take them seriously – they yeah. they don't have that much power. They right. the only they have just about as much power as over you as as you'll give them, honestly. Right. But when we're talking about entities like from episode five, I don't know if you listen to that. Mister Frosty was talking about an entity that he was wrestling with, literally that attacked him while he was in Romania and then followed him back to the states. We're talking about a different level of the kingdom of darkness there. So in my mind, I think principality, power, fallen angelic spirit, not, not demonic spirit. I mean, those demonic spirits are relatively easy to, to kick their butts. Yeah. So, yeah. If you know, how. yes, <laughs> if you exactly. Know if you know, if you know how, that's why I said, you know, spirit filled believer who, who's got a little bit of, a little bit of training under your belt. Yeah, I'd always wonder, you know, like, were the original Nephilim, the, the the ones of Noah's time, is there, is there a, are they leveled up? Are they different from the, those that, that came after the flood, you know, the Raphael, the Anakim, whatever, you know, or even the ones that I think probably inhabit the United States, you know, are these, are there a different, 
is there a different level of spiritual <laughs> evilness going on? So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, to me, it felt, and I've had a couple different demonic experiences myself, and this did, hadn't, this beat it all the, all the way, you know, with that level of just ancient hate. So, but um, yeah, that, that was the only experience I had in Iraq as far as that kind of stuff. Um, after that, it was just kind of doing your job and, and trying to get back, you know? So that feeling that you got made me think and you can confirm this or not. When it talks about the enemy comes to kill, steal and destroy. I mean, is that what you felt? I mean, that this thing hatred and the anger that it wanted to literally eat you alive and kill you. I think there was enough death that night that it, it attracted that that just that negative you know anytime you get casualties you're you're that's you know it's negative energy man there's a lot of you know a lot of emotional trauma going on both for the soldiers that are hurt the soldiers that are bringing them in their own unit and then those are working on you know you're doing everything you can to save these people and so there's a lot of there's a lot of energy going around and I don't know if maybe that drew it in or what, and who knows, maybe that sandstorm was it coming in. I don't know, but it, it felt part of all, it just was surrounding everywhere. You know what I mean? It's not like you can say it's coming from over there or over here or whatever. It was just all around you. And, uh, it was, yeah, it was soul sucking. Just, it was scary. So that's yeah, kind of all I remember about it, but, I'm just glad we, whatever was in our tent and we did have a chaplain with us. So maybe he was a good man of God and had that, that chapter, you know, the, that hospital all armored up. I don't know. Right. <laughs> so inside the hospital, we were good to go. I don't know. It was kind of strange. Yeah. Uh, so That's wild. Yeah. It was pretty sorry. Excuse me. Um, yeah. After that, man, I mean, I, I remember we, I went back to Leonardwood for a while. We did experience some UFO sightings nothing crazy, but just like some really bright, bright objects in the sky. They were stationary. Um, I don't remember these stories all that well for some reason, but um, I did tell them on a different podcast and it was just kind of like, it looked like a really, really bright star that wasn't moving. And then eventually it just disappeared. And it was, it was the, you know, I know what a pop-up flare is because I've used them. So these, it's, it's one of those things that looked like it was miles and miles away, but bright enough you could see it without a problem. And then eventually it just kind of disappeared out of sight. I don't know what it was. It was strange. Not moving. Stationary. The It didn't get darker or brighter as it was sitting there. You know what I mean? So if something's bright, if something's moving in the air, you say it's in, in line with you and it's moving away, you'll see the light start to taper off as it gets further away that this was not doing that at all. So I don't know what it was, but it was, you know, Leonard was kind of a strange area with too, man. Where is that? Fort Leonardwood is in Southern Missouri along I 44 as you head from St. Louis down to probably Branson area, actually Derek Gilbert's area neck of the woods. So, okay. So not too far from him. Missouri, uh, the Ozarks are, uh, are a special kind of place, man. Lots of weird stories down the, down yonder. So, but I enjoyed it. But I didn't have much happen there. It was uh, it was a pretty enjoyable duty station for the most part because I like to hunt fish anyway. So, 
But um, I eventually, out of there, we got sent, my wife is active duty also, we got sent to Hawaii to Tripler. And I took over running the OR, the operating room, surgical suites while I was there. And uh, we ended up getting, so we worked at the hospital and our location for trying to find a place to live was dependent on, you know, the easy route to get to the hospital because that hospital had one exit and entrance only. And you didn't want to drive. You could, you could live 10 miles away, but if you're on the wrong highway, it takes you two hours to get home or two hours to get there. It's, it's a real cluster. So we lived on the, I believe it's called the windward side, which is the, you know, the moister, less hot side of the Island. And we ended up getting a town home. You know, it's connected to all these other homes um, on the way that it's basically on the, on its way to North shore. The town is called Kenioi and the cemetery. We live right across the street from a giant cemetery, huge cemetery. And in that cemetery up on the hill was a Buddhist temple. And of course, you, you know, you don't think about this when you're moving there, you didn't put it all together, but that place was nuts. I mean, as soon as we moved to that house, you could just feel it was, it was a dark place. And I just thought it was the, the, you know, the climate, the jungle surrounding you, you know, just, you know what I mean? So it was, I didn't really think of it as uh, Oh, this is a negative dark energy place, but over time um, things started started happening and uh it's funny a lot of people love hawaii i have nothing but uh uh what do i want to say i wouldn't hate's a strong word but i i will never if if we go back there it'll be to a different island so we can vacation i don't really want to go back it was not a very good experience for me but i do remember moving in there and this place and we had a young daughter at the time and over time, we started just got these hear these noises in the middle of the night pounding on the wall. And I'm like, our neighbors are 90 years old. What are they doing at two in the morning pounding on the wall? You know what I mean? Are they moving stuff around? This was a consistent thing, too. I just thought this was strange. Are they keeping weird hours? And uh, <laughs> I'm not the only we'd have friends over and they were like, dude, who's banging on the wall? You know, two in the morning, you know, what is going on? I'm like, I have no idea, man, but they're, they keep some crazy hours and they probably think we're weird too. Now thinking about it, you know, they probably think what are those young people doing over there? But anyway, so I, the pounding wasn't coming from <laughs> the neighbors, it turns out, but, um, eventually we started, you start seeing shadows out of the corner of your eye floating across the room at night. Um, I thought they were bugs. I'm like, cause if you don't, bug bomb the house every six months the cockroaches move in and start charging you rent so you got a bug bomb that you know those places there's just so many of them you know and i do remember we had this light in the we had a galley kitchen and they have this plexiglass covering for the light and my wife is a neat freak and well i kind of am too but there was a dead bug you could see through this plexiglass and she's like no we got to get rid of that. You know, that's disgusting. So I'm up there. I spent, you know, I don't know how long trying to get this plexiglass frame off of this. 
And I'm like, how do you change the lights in this? <laughs> I hope the lights don't off because I have no idea how to get this thing off. It was, you know, it was like a half inch thick solid plexiglass, and there was no way to remove it. I didn't, it couldn't move it any further than it was just stuck there. And I said, sorry, honey, I guess you're just gonna have to look at that dead bug for the next three years. <laughs> so, but fast forward a couple months, we're up and we're sleeping, and it's the middle of the night. All of a sudden, a huge hear this huge crash and i'm a light sleeper anyway man so i'm like up out of bed and i have my weapon in my hand because the 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 the, 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 the island is notorious for break-ins whether it's your car or stuff being stolen i had my truck totally cleaned out one time so i'm down there thinking that somebody kicked in our door or something you know and i go down there and it's this plexiglass frame it just crashed the floor for no reason I have no idea. This was months later and I had no idea how. And I looked at her and she's like, well, at least we got rid of the bug. So we had to wait till the next morning to put that plexiglass back in place. And it took both of us on ladders, me trying to bend it and trying to shove it back into the frame. It was, it was weird. It was super impossible. I don't know how it happened. So it kind of left us stunned, but over time, weirder stuff started happening i remember like we had this little light up toothbrushes you get the kids you squeeze it and they glow or blink for like 30 seconds you know that's how long you brush your teeth that we get those all the time for my daughter she loved them and they would be in the bathroom upstairs and so it was a stairs you go up and then you take an immediate right and continue up the stairs to the top and you look down the hallway in the bathroom and all of a sudden you see these these stupid little flashlights blinking in the dark by themselves. And I'm like, is the battery going out on these? Where is this thing? But the problem is you replace them and they'd still happen. It always happened at night when we come home from work or whatever. I'm like, this is nuts. So I started developing horrible nightmares and sleep paralysis while I was in this place. And in fact, I even woke up at night with the feeling of being choked out like something was literally choking me and trying to smother me in, in my pillow. And I'm like, what is going on? And it got to the point where I was waking up every night, every night. In fact, I still have issues with it at two, two thirty ish. I'd roll over. I'd look at my clock at the far end of my bed at the, um, on the dresser. I look at it. That was the only light in the room. I look at it. I'm like, great, 2.36. And I roll back to sleep, you know, roll over, try to go back to bed. And that continued the whole three years I was there. And it was, uh, it was, it was starting to affect me health-wise, too. I started developing heel spurs. I didn't know what was going on either. I'm a medical professional. And every morning, about six months, I'd, I'd wake up throw my feet on the ground, start to stand up. And I just had this agonizing pain from both of my feet and I could barely stand for about five minutes. I'm like, what is going on? And it turned out, uh, I finally went in and got it checked out and yeah, I had sure enough, I had bone spurs developing on both of my heels. And I'm like, what is, you know, that's crazy. Why? And like, and they're, you know, I just like, I don't know. It could be a number of things. So you just, what, well, what am I supposed to do? wear better shoes i'm like <laughs> i'm like okay <laughs> that helps right well so all this stuff is kind of building up 
my wife had to go home on leave and she took my daughter with us. And while they were gone that day, I, I fumigated the, the home with the bug bombs. And that evening I decided it was on a Friday. So I was outside I was smoking cigar and having a little bit of bourbon and it was late at night. And I was, what I did is I opened the door and I had the TV from the living room facing the door with the volume all the way up so I could watch and smoke cigars while I'm outside. And uh, the thing about Hawaii is they got all these little enclosed areas, like it's your own little kind of gardeny area, you know? So where I was at, there was zero wind. I was blowing smoke rings, if that, that helps. Perfect smoke ring. So it was just, it was a very enclosed area. And on the table next to me, I had the caps to the bug bombs. You know, they're like maybe two inches in diameter or whatever and about an inch thick. And they're all laying flat on there. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw one look like something literally flicked it one direction. And I looked at the other ones and the other ones flicked one after another, all in different directions off this. Like somebody took their finger and just flicked them one at a time in different directions. And that right there was the real first experience that was like, something's going on here. This isn't just my imagination. How do you blow that off? You know what I mean? It was so deliberate in both the power of its, of the flicking and the directions of the flicking that I was like, I just packed up my stuff, closed the door. I went inside and tried to go to sleep. I'm like, I don't know what's out here, but I'm done. So, you know, pop smoke later. So that's what I did. Eventually I felt like, Things were picking up. Sleep paralysis was getting worse. I would pray at night, but again, I wasn't, I didn't have the knowledge to really understand on how to defeat this kind of presence. I really, you know, I would say the Lord's Prayer. That's what I would do. And it would stop for there. And then that's about it. It wasn't until later on when I started digging and getting in these kind of podcasts, reading the books that we all read to really understand what I can do to combat this kind of what I know now was probably a demonic oppression. And so as things developed, I remember um, my wife, we had just had our, our second child and she was in the room across from us where all my friends refused to sleep in when they come to spend the night, they would all rather just sleep on the couch because the room gave them horrible nightmares but that's where our son was. That's where his bedroom was. So we had him in there. And she, one night she got up to go, to go feed him. It was around 11 and she had been gone for like a half an hour. And I'm laying there. I'm like, what is she doing? So I got up and we had the hall light on. And so that you could see, uh, we always left the hall light on or the bathroom light on for our daughter anyway. So I got up, I went in there, I peeked in. I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, listen, if you want to come in, just come in. And I'm like, what? Just like, quit peeking in on me. Just come in and hang out, you know? And I'm like, mm, yeah, I just came in. This is the first time I've gotten up. <laughs> so she told me with the door cracked about two inches, she saw this figure multiple times walk by, look like it was peeking in and then continue on about my height. So I'm like six, three. And then she'd see it pass on 
come back, look like it peeking in and pass on again. <laughs> Did it multiple times. And I'm like, yeah, man, that wasn't me. <laughs> now let's go back to sleep. How are we going to do that? Right. So, <laughs> so I guess we're watching a movie. So anyway, so that was that experience. Um, then I started, like I said, I had a lot of crazy, weird dreams. I did have one dream. I had three, I had three major dreams while I was there that I felt were being manipulated and, or something along that line, you know, something that the dream was so significant that you wake up and going, what was that? What was that about? And one of the dreams I had was that my grandfather, he was a, a Marine. Um, he retired Lieutenant Colonel Marine and uh, it was, my inspiration, my idol growing up, you know, next to my dad. And I always wanted to join the Marine Corps, which I kind of did. So ish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as a corpsman, as much as the corpsman can join the Marine Corps. Right. So anyway, I had a dream where he came in and sat at the foot of my bed and looked at me. And I said, Grandpa, what are you doing here? He's like, be quiet and listen to me. And I'm like, okay. And he was a direct dude, you know, there was no messing around with him. And, uh, then he told me something, but then I woke up and I couldn't remember a thing that he said. And so I called my brother up and I said, dude, I just had the craziest dream. My grandpa, you know, grandpa, he tried to tell me something. He's like, well, what do you say? I'm like, Hell, I don't remember. I can't remember. He's like, well, ne- pay attention next time. I'm like, that's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, that was, it was really a strange dream. And it was, to me, it was like one of those dreams. And it's not the first time I've had what I consider a, a spirit of what is either a family member or something else pretending to be that come to me. And my brothers had the same dreams, like family members or people that have died come to give him a message to pass on kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Strange stuff. A couple months later, I had another dream where I was, it was like an out of body experience where I went to talk to the sky brothers. I can't tell you, I don't know what that was all about the sky people. And that it was like one of those where I was literally flying and I was talking. It is not the first dream I've had where I was flying, but I was like, something's not right here, you know? And I basically kind of forced myself out of that situation to leave. And anyway, but my brother was supposedly there with me. And I, again, I, I call him like, dude, do you had a did you have a dream where you were with the Sky Brothers or the Sky people last night? He's like, no, nah, bro, that's all you. <laughs> like, check it, check, just check it. So anyway, fast forward again, probably um, oh, I don't know, maybe a week before we were getting ready to leave. And I was like thanking, thanking the Lord that we're this close. Cause just it was just getting really bad. I Woke up in the middle of the night again. I looked over at the end of the end of the foot of the bed to see what time it was. And it said 236. I'm like crap. So I rolled back over. And as I was rolling over onto my right, I saw a figure standing on my side of the bed. And this figure was it was a black figure. So I think at the time, and this is all going through my head all at once. I thought it was somebody broke in the house or in dark clothes or on my side of the bed. My hand goes immediately for my weapon. So I just grabbed the weapon, sat straight up in bed and pointed center mass at this figure, head and shoulders, black figure. And as I did this, this figure 
started to move around the my side of the bed to the other side of the bed or around the corner of the bed. And I'm, I got a finger on the trigger and I'm squeezing. I was going to send her mask to whoever this was. And my wife's next to me in my bed. So I know it's not her, you know, but this thing was six foot tall at least. And then that's when it hit me. It went right by the light the front of the, the night, you know, the, the clock light. And it was completely see-through yet. This figure was still darker than the room. And that's when I took my finger off the trigger and I was like, what is happening? And I'm just, and for a minute, it was like, I'm just staring at this figure at the end of my bed. And it's basically just looking at me. And that's when I just got, it just, it was like a rage, just super mad, super angry. And I just pointed towards the door of my bedroom. And I say, get the blank out. I yelled at it. And this thing zipped out of my room. But as it was zipping out of the room, it got to a point as it zipped out of the room. You know, it was the strangest thing I've ever seen. Of course, my wife wakes, wakes up, you know, looks at me. And she's like, did you just yell at your daughter to get the heck, heck out of the room? I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't my daughter. I'll tell you about in the morning. And so I just rolled over and like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> like it was so strange. And then I told her about the next day. And I'm like, can you imagine trying to explain that to the Honolulu police? Why are you shooting your gun at home in the middle of the night, sir? Well, I was shooting a ghost. Right. Well, I of course at the time I was, you know, I, I'm I'm certain it was a demonic presence in the home or following us, came from somewhere. I don't know. There's a lot of idol worship. <laughs> on that island mm -hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot of family veneration every weekend you'd see whole families get together in the cemetery having a full-on cookout barbecue i do i do remember walking out of my home in the middle of the night or not in the night in the very early in the morning four o'clock to go do an apft physical fitness test it was four i walked out and there's jungle all around the townhomes and at the end of the townhomes it's just pure jungle as soon as I stepped into the street, I heard a boom. It was it sounded like a, a mortar or a howitzer going off, but it was muffled, but it was loud enough to drop me to my knee. And I look over and I see this big cloud of white kind of billing out and just completely dispersed as quick it was there. And man, I started my PT session early and just <laughs> ran to my car. <laughs> so I don't know what that was. I did find out later that the area we're at is the same area that King Kamehameha came through when he attacked Oahu. And he had cannons and guns and all kinds of stuff with him when he attacked Oahu to take the island. So who knows? And the poly where they had, they found like, I don't know, something like six to 800 bodies of, of warriors that were pushed off the cliff of the, of the poly heights from the battle with the King Kamehameha's um, troops. So I don't know. I don't know if the whole place is just cursed or what um, we had. a. I remember we had a, an idol, you know, or, a, you know, a tiki carving that was hand carved by a guy in the island. I just thought it was cool. Of course it's, it was Khan or Kani, Kani, of the the warrior god you know mm -hmm. which is spelled k-e which is cane whatever anyway as soon as i i kind of put things together i took that outside and burned it <laughs> i right. was like 
it was a cool it was a cool artistic creation but on the other hand i'm not you know i don't want to bring that in my house but two days or three days after i had this shadow figure thing and i had another dream that night where i was riding back of an old time vehicle with a bunch of old timers sitting around there all talking war stories and one one of the guys and i was i don't know why i'm in the back middle seat and one of the guys said something about the marine corps i'm like oh that's cool my grandpa was in the marine corps and that's when he turns around in the front passenger seat looks at me like i'm an idiot and goes i'm here i'm right here i've always been here and then i'm like oh and then i woke up so I don't know if this thing that was in the house was for pretend, trying to pretend to be him or what. I don't, you know, I don't know if my grandpa was trying to warn me all, who knows, mm-hmm. you know, hard to say. I do know that as soon as I left Hawaii, my heel spurs went away and I stopped waking up with sleep, sleep or stopped having sleep paralysis for a while. Wow. So, you know, the sleep, the heel spurs, whether they're or not, I don't know. I don't, I no longer have that pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was, it was, it was a constant just drag, always seeing shadows out of the cornyard, flirting, just shooting across the room or whatever. And uh, so I was was super happy to get out of that place. So did you all live in the same house the whole time you were there? Yeah, we talked about moving, but you know, once you know the military pays for you to move in that one time mm-hmm. and then trying to move that again on your own. And here's the problem is I needed a place with an extra bedroom and a garage because we have that much stuff, you know, after 30, almost 30 years of moving around, you accumulate a lot of crap. So trying to find a place that would accommodate us, that wasn't going to be super expensive. And Hawaii is very expensive to live in. It was just kind of near impossible. So we just tried to just tried to stick it out. You know what I mean? And we did. And, on you know, it had its had its cost though that's for sure so we left in 2016 and and headed to kentucky fort knox we got separated by duty station i ended up going to fort campbell kentucky uh slash tennessee and she and the kids went to fort knox and i had to commute home every weekend or so and drive back and that's when i decided to drop my paperwork to retire so i was just kind of done with that scene so but that's when that kind of the next next bunch of stuff happened so got any questions about all that craziness you know as you were talking i was just thinking about um it seems like what you were interacting with would be what would be considered a poltergeist um Mm -hmm. and so i that 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 word popped up in my head and I was like, is that, is that right? And so I looked up the definition and a poltergeist is a ghost or other supernatural being supposedly responsible for physical disturbances, such as loud noises and objects thrown around. Right. Right. So although you have, there's a lot going on in that house. Uh, yeah. You've got, you know, you've got shadow people, shadow figures, poltergeist, sleep paralysis, I mean, I, I do believe it's all demonic spirits. I mean, it sounds like, too, what you've got going on with potentially with your grandfather, you know, visiting you in those dreams is uh, potentially familiar, familiar spirit. Yeah. As well, and I suspect that all of these things 
that it's the enemy trying different tactics to try to a to get you to just live in this place of fear, the spirit of fear, and or b to actually lead you away from the Lord. I think familiar right. spirits lead people away from the Lord because then they they start looking to these spirits or spirit guides and and that aspect of spiritualism, if you will, instead of looking to Jesus. So I just think these are just different tactics by the enemy to to try to screw with us and lead us away from the Lord in one way or another. Which is funny because it led me straight to <laughs> straight right. back to the Lord. I was like, whatever is happening, I don't have the tools. I don't have the weapons to deal with this. And it led me on just a, a crusade to try to figure out what was going on and how to defeat this. Because you can only say the Lord's prayer so much before you, you realize that it's like, while it stops the event it doesn't really end the nightmare you know right and so that's when i just started digging in you know and any any books i could find out about spiritual warfare i started listening to when i got to kentucky i was driving so much and all i was listening to was xm radio my buddy's like you know what actually one of my captains he's like hey sir why don't you uh, just listen to podcasts i'm like what are these things you talk of? I, I'm like, I've never heard of podcasts. This is 2016. So I know they've been around a while, but I'm just out of touch, man. And he's like, yeah, dude, just get on your phone and look for whatever subject you like. And then it, it hit me like, well, shadow creatures, whatever these things are. And I thought it maybe was an energy vampire. I've heard that thrown, thrown around too. So who knows? But I was like, if these things exist, what else exists? And I remember being up in Washington State and even as a kid fascinated with the idea of Bigfoot. Mm. And that's when I got into the Bigfoot whole thing. And so I started listening to Bigfoot uh, podcast, specifically, you know, Sasquatch Chronicles and then eventually Tony Merkel's show. And, you know, who knows what other, a bunch of them. And I was like, oh, that's, this is really interesting. I, I listened to them nonstop. I'm talking five hours a weekend listening to this, these podcasts, you know, just digging in, um, trying to figure things out. And then also just trying to figure out what are my tools and weapons against these spiritual entities. And that's, you know, over time it, it, it hit me that everything you need <laughs> is in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Occult books, they're not going to do it. I mean, it's even, even holy water, you know, like I used when I was in, as a Catholic, you know, or I hear, I've heard of holy salts and all this stuff, you know, in the end, it's the name of Jesus and it's every weapon in that you need. It's a matter of deciphering it sometimes and really figuring it out, but you know, anointing oil. I look at what were the gifts given to Christ when he was born, you know, he was given, he wasn't given sage. He wasn't given, you know, sweet grass. He was given frankincense and mirror. Those are the, that's what you should be cleansing your house with, you know, not sage. Mm -hmm. You should be anointing your doors and windows and all that stuff yourself with anointing oil, not, not holy water or any other thing. You know, I'm not saying that doesn't work per se, but I, I guess I, I try to look at things. I even look at silver. Silver is a weapon. I don't, in my mind, it is. It's it's in mythology. You hear about silver being a weapon against dark creatures, you know, werewolves. So what do we see nowadays running around the woods, in the woods? People are talking about dogmen, right. you know, and what was the blood of Christ paid for? 
30 pieces of silver were paid for the blood of Christ. But not only was that silver given for the blood of Christ, it was also used to pay for our sins, the forgiveness of our sins. So I think there's a connection with silver. I, I don't know. That's just the guess. I think these creatures can be not just these spirit creatures, but even these physical chimera creatures running around. I think they can be rebuked. I think they can be killed. I think that silver, there's a possibility that silver is an, uh, you know, a weapon against these things. I don't know. It's just something I'm, I've been thinking about lately. And <clears throat> it, it's kind of, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, when you talk, when you hear these stories about these creatures being killed, what are they being killed with or shot at with that has little to no effect? You know, lead or copper or some kind of metal jacketed lead, you know, it's never, it's never anything significant. Well, why, why not try silver? You know, is all I'm saying. I'm just throwing that out there. Right. I know that's a little weird, but I'm saying there's weapons yes. and what are they and how do we use them and identify them? You yeah. Know? That's a so. question. That's a question for, for Dr. Judd Burton. And I just, I just text him. So we'll see, we'll see if he, if he gets back with me while we're still, while we're still on. Yeah. I, I just feel like there's something important about silver and even gold. I, what is gold? Uh, I, I feel like everything's there. It's just a matter of us putting the pieces together. Cause not, you know, it seems like the Lord doesn't always direct use this for that, you know, <laughs> necessarily. Mm -hmm. So who knows? Maybe a silver bullet really is the way to kill these things. I don't know, but I do believe they are chimera. I don't believe they're cryptids running around the woods because listen to these, I, these, listen to these stories got me into the woods looking for these creatures. Cause I originally started thinking, Oh, these are probably just, you know, some misidentified giant ape running around in North America. BS. That's not true. There's no way. Like we already had them and we already studied them. We already know what these things are, but I think they're part fallen. I think they're probably part human and then probably part animal. And I think they're terrestrial in the sense that they were created in a perversion way, a perverted way on earth. So they belong to earth. I don't think they're probably going between dimensions. Mm. I think they're probably like more along the line of Ron Moorhead's. Hey, they're probably using some kind of special supernatural, whatever you want to call ability that was given to them by their, one of their spiritual fathers, you know what I mean? The fallen, they're probably have the ability to do something that cloaks them. These things, I mean, they're, you got to think about all the stories you hear about. These things are incredibly powerful, just like the, the Nephilim of the old, these things can do things that are in just way beyond our ability you know mm -hmm. and i saw in kentucky which i'll get to kind of confirms that there's something more than just a physical creature while they i think they are physical and they can be killed and just like david you better take their head to make sure they're dead because i think they can probably regenerate real quick i think people shooting at them realize real quick that you know even your seven millimeter isn't going to do much to these things maybe because it's the wrong metal Maybe you're not hitting them in the brain pan. I don't know. So I think they're, I think these things can be killed. And I think it's just a matter of choosing the right weapon. Like I said, I put this together not too long ago. The price of the blood of Christ was 30 pieces of silver, which also paid for the 
the forgiveness of sins of humanity. Maybe this, there's something more to it that these things have a weakness. And you hear about, like I said, in the mythology, whether it's vampires, werewolves, whatever. I even know that there are some stories about gold being a weapon against certain, you know, folkloric creatures or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> do we need to run around the woods with silver bullets? I don't know. I'm just saying that there's, there's weapons, there's tools, and it's all in the Bible. It's just a matter of putting pieces together and trying to figure it out, you know? Well, so. I do know there is validity to what you're saying because I asked uh, Dr. Judd a similar question and I was joking about, I think it was in, for episode six, we were talking about his school, the Institute of Biblical Anthropology. You can go to drjuddburton.com to sign up for the email list. This is the plug. The, yeah, plug. There we go. And I, I jokingly asked him if, if, you know, wooden stakes and work on vampires and silver bullets work on werewolves. And he said there is, there is a connection there. We didn't go too deep into it. So I really right. can't recall his answer, but he said there is, there is some validity to it. And so that's definitely something that I'm going to ask him and I will either uh, just edit edit his response in, or maybe he'll, he'll get back with us while we're recording, but I'll, right on. uh, at the very least, well, I I'm saying it now, so I've got to put it into this episode or put it out there because now people are going to be like, I want to know what his answer is. So <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah. I'll get the I'd answer. Like I'd like to know if there's, I mean, is there a connection with, with the gifts given to Christ and these, and all these things talked about in the Bible is, are these, something these items used as a weapon against evil against the you know whatever it may be so yo you should definitely i'm sure if you're not friends with them you should you should friend request him but hit him up on messenger and ask him that questions those questions specifically you have he'll he'll more than likely respond because that's that's a very good question and and i think there is definitely something to that i can't help but but think you know, you were talking about thinking that, that these things are flesh and blood and not necessarily interdimensional. Mm-hmm. I, I'm starting to think these things are all of the above. Right. That, that some of them are coming through from other dimensions through portals or some sort of access point to this dimension and that they're here for a little while and mm-hmm. then whatever it was that, that brought them over that power source or whatever, open that access point or whatever, that at some point it, it, it dissipates and they, they kind of disappear back to, to the dimension that they came from. But then also there are beings and maybe it's even, we'll call them the same species, some coming through from other dimensions and some that are here full time, so to speak, right. are chimeric creatures and, you know, doc, Mr. I almost called him Dr. Frosty. Mr. Frosty, when he was on, he, he spoke about, he was a DOD contractor. He is a DOD contractor. And, and he spoke about some firsthand knowledge that he has of these top secret cryptid task force. He said they're in every state. 
he said some st- right. they're under the guise of the Department of Natural Resources and that these are the the men in black. And you may already be familiar with a little bit of this and that they go in and recover bodies of cryptids. Mm-hmm. Specifically, he mentioned Sasquatch or Bigfoot, Dogman, werewolves. So, right. yeah, we're definitely talking about a, a flesh and blood entity. Right. I agree with you. I think they probably are going coming not all of them. I think I think they've been here on this plane for a long time, on this physical world. But I do believe that there's probably more being created, yeah, and just dropped off. And saying, you know, Satan needs an army, and he's building it right under our noses. And I think that's what's probably going on when you're seeing these things come out of whether flying saucers through portals, whatever. I have no doubt that they're coming from another place, or at least some of them to a degree. And, but I do believe that there is still, they probably still have human DNA because it's, it's almost like they're trying to make sure that whatever's coming here still has a claim in a sense to the humanity to, it's like, it's like a a courtroom, you know? Well, they're still part human. Mm -hmm. So they still have a claim on, on, on the, on, our birthright you know what i mean well so if you can get rid of humans in their natural state and if you can get rid of the jewish population in world war ii you can't fulfill biblical prophecy you can't have you know humans as god created so you know you understand what i'm trying to say so there still is that absolutely human part that i think is being interjected to these creatures whether they're the white crawler slash rakes or these dogmen, they're still a human. I think there are human components to these things. And I think they are being probably refreshed and thrown back onto the earth from these, this other plane of existence, spiritual plane, whatever you would like to call it, but absolutely. But I think once they're here, I think there's still a very real physicality of these things. I think you can definitely kill them. I don't think they're here for good. And also when you do kill them or when they die, these things are unclean spirits. And that's what I think I was experiencing in Kentucky. These things, when they die, they're, they're basically demons, you know, are the, they don't rest. Are they sent to Sheol, to hell, whatever you want to call it, or are they allowed to roam like the Nephilim from the biblical time? So if these things die, you hear about people having demonic encounters in their house with these shadow dogmen or shadow Bigfoot probably the spirit the unclean spirit of these once physical entities who are now just rolling around causing all kinds of trouble Mm -hmm. and that's what i think i ran into partly while i was in kentucky you know you start looking for things and you really don't understand what you're looking for like a certain podcast that says go looking for something you might you know be careful what you wish for because you might just find it careful what you wish for because you might just find it because you might just find it because you might just find it